my friends, the great experiment. Have you begun? Hit it. Drink, drink. Would you look at that? The greatest drink, drink. Would you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star drink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Already regretting that I didn't pour myself an adult beverage for today's episode. Oh, oh, are you? Oh, I am. <laughs> Is it safe to say that you're on one? I wish I'd taken care of myself. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, it is. It's cocktail time. It'd be nice. It's not it's not a crime to have a little cocktail on Friday afternoon, right? You want to go figure that out? Yeah, I'm going to go. I can go. I've got a cocktail in a can I can go get. Whoa, la dida. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I don't have to do shit. I'm going to see if I have a can-based beverage. All right. I'll see you in a second. We'll be back in a sec. <laughs> this is so much better already. Yeah. Did you find yourself a, a can? I did. So I wasn't actually here when the um, when the groceries arrived this morning. I'm, I've been ordering groceries more. Just feel like uh, we have less time in the day and whatnot. Yeah, you want to put some bucks back into the economy. Mm, yeah, I feel like this has happened to me a few times since I started being more of a grocery orderman. Mm-hmm. Which is, I'll see like. Something that seems like it's a pack of something and be like, ooh, that looks interesting. I'll give that thing I'm only vaguely familiar with or curious about a try. Uh huh. I order it and only one thing shows up. And then I go back and look at the listing. I'm like, that's not a pack. That's one very expensive thing. Yeah. You ordered quantity one, huh? Th- that's what apparently happened today. I ordered what I thought was going to be like a four pack or a six pack of hard apple ciders. You know, just like a can of apple cider. Sure. Hard cider. Uh-huh. $9.99. Oh, my God. What? One showed up. <laughs> Is that an Erewhon canned apple cider? One 16-ounce can of cider showed up for the low, low price of $9.99. So oh, my God. Let me just say that we really, really need your support in the Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Oh, mistakes were made. I know. And that I th- better be fucking delicious. I, well, I'm going to try it and see. And it also better fuck you up. Yeah. Well, it's it's 6.6% alcohol by volume. Oh, that's sneaky. Yeah. You know, the fun thing about a 6.6% alcohol by volume 16-ounce can is that <sighs> that's like two beers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because like- Yeah, that's being efficient. Like one can of beer is usually like, wait, 4% alcohol by volume? If you're drinking uh, porch beers like yeah. we usually do, yeah. So a 6% alcohol by volume would be 25% more alcoholic than uh-huh. a 4%. So this is 6.6%. Yeah. And it's more than a beer. <laughs> I love that math. You know, it's like a tall boy. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. It's a... Dr. Bashir would love the way this looks. Yes. Obviously. Give us a taste test. This is your first time, huh? First time drinking an almost $10 <laughs> canned cider. I mean, Jesus. I would pay $10 as like a, you know, like that's what you would pay in a bar for this. It's fine. It's good. Yeah. I can't believe I'm paying fucking retail for it. I'm glad you don't hate it. Yeah, it's fine. I I would not pay that much again. I'm drinking one of these. Have you had a Javi's Ranch Water before? No. 
It's watermelon flavored ranch water, uh-huh. which I thought I would I would hate. I like that cute dog on the package. I uh, recently crushed a whole bunch of these with some buddies on an out of towner. Yeah, and uh, they come in all kinds of flavors. And I thought watermelon would be like, come on, watermelon's not for me. I'm a I'm a lime guy. You know, <laughs> give me my give me my ranch water the classic way. But this watermelon version. It's fucking delicious. You know, I love it. The sneaky little thing about watermelon is whether it's the natural version of watermelon flavor or the artificial version of watermelon flavor, it always fucking slaps. I know. More things should taste like watermelon for sure. Yeah. And also like if you're even getting like a slight evocation of the joy of it being the the peak of summer and you've got like a full quarter of a watermelon and you're just standing over the sink absolutely eating it out. Just shirtless. Yeah. (laughs) That's one of life's great joys. It does feel like summer is so far away, Ben, with all these atmospheric rivers. Yeah. Just slapping us repeatedly. (laughs) This watermelon ranch water is the only thing I'm hanging on to at this point. Yeah. These atmospheric rivers slapping us like a Used car dealer slapping the hood of a... Yeah. Hey, give it a break, used car dealer. I'm already buying. <laughs> Watermelon ranch water. Mm. Extremely overpriced apple cider. I wonder why, like, how these guys get off charging what they charge for this. What are the reviews? It's called New Dry with an umlaut, so it's appropriate to our show. You're going for some freebies by saying the name on the show, aren't you? <laughs> and I really hope you get some because $9 per <laughs> is giving me a nosebleed. Yeah, we should beep that out and send it to the network and be like, hey, listen, it would really make a difference if you could book some ads for these guys. Yeah. And then we'll go back and we'll have Wendy use like AI to make it sound like I think that this is really worth $10. I think it's within our power and it's within their power to make happen. Hmm. I like our chances. It's within our power to capture Vatic, Adam. Yeah, but what do we do with her once we do, Ben? That's my question. <laughs> it's like a dog chasing a mail truck. Yeah. What will they do once they have her? Let's talk about it, Ben. Okay. It is Star Trek Picard colon the final season, episode seven. It's called Dominion. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. It's so no. We begin in a scrapyard, a space scrapyard. Yeah. In the Mentakan system. The Chintaka system. In the Chintakan system. That's where they like flew and there were all those like automated weapons platforms in DS9 that like took them out. Right. We've brought back the whistling in case you thought whistling was a thing of the past. No. In season three, the final season of Star Trek Picard with the Pop Goes the Weasel song. No. We've got Three Blind Mice. The hit whistle song, Three Blind Mice, being whistled (laughs) over this scene of the scrapyard with the Titan floating dead inside. Too much similarity between Three Blind Mice and Hot Cross Buns. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Because I was like... Very much thinking that this was hot cross buns until you get more of the musical phrase later in the episode. I mean, if you were to use that song, you'd be paying the buns estate. Oh. And uh, (laughs) three blind mice, I'm pretty sure is fair use, right? The the mice are not as litigious. No, they're really not. (laughs) The buns estate also is the name of my favorite 
very unpopular porn magazine that you used to be able to get <laughs> in a convenience store. <laughs> I thought it was a uh, a Christian theme park run by Sir Mixalot. My favorite game lately is uh, is favorite unpopular porn magazine or no limit album title. <laughs> <laughs> what a scene we start with here yeah. because captain tuvok is on the view screen they're trying to like phone a friend they're trying to mm -hmm. do anything they can to get somebody not on the titan to help them it feels like that scene from spy movies that we love where there's like people in a van and they're hitting dials yeah. And they're trying to get stuff done before their location is tracked. Yeah, see if we can clean that up. See if you can isolate yeah. that sound. And uh -huh. the voice print's looking good, and then it's looking bad. And then Stefan is like, let me try something that maybe only Tuvok would know. And he knows it, and she's like, "It's good. we're good. I love that Seven has to do two-factor authentication here, right? Yeah. It's not just the first bit of trivia. It's it's all the trivia. And yeah. uh, and when he slips up and says he's going to meet them at Aklia and Seven, that's when she knows he's not the real Tuvok because that planet is anti-Vulcan. Everybody knows that Aklia and Seven are terrible people. Yeah, I mean, for a moment, Tuvok thought she said Aklia and Eight. Mm. <laughs> and that just sets off a whole other thing on the bridge. <laughs> yeah, why did why did she say it like that? <laughs> this take by Tim Russ is so good because the smirk at the moment of getting caught. Oh, it's so heartbreaking that like the music changes. Everything turns on his expression yeah. in such an elegant way. It is really well done here. When we are done with all of you, death will come as a relief. I'm not saying that the rest of this episode is bad. I'm not saying that. But the beginning of this episode is so good that yeah. much like Star Trek 2009, it almost doesn't matter if the rest of the episode is bad. That's well put. The beginning is so good. Yeah. This idea that... An associate of theirs is far away somewhere, probably being tortured. Not a lot is made of it after this scene for not just Tuvok, but also a Riker that is referred to, but whose point of view we never see either. Riker and Troy are presumably being tortured during this episode based right. on the dialogue and based on what we learned from Gold Tuvok. Right. So, yeah, not, not great. They're trying to squeeze every last bit of information out of this interaction in a way that I didn't completely understand because as soon as Tuvok reveals himself to be a gold, what kind of information do you think you're going to get here, Picard? Like, you must tell me where Will Riker is. <laughs> like, this is a person that has admitted to Seven that he's currently got people working on Tuvok as we speak. Yeah. But changing his face into Riker and a possibly dead-faced Riker is really spiking the football right at all their faces. And when Jordy kills the transmission, everyone seems to be in agreement that the attempt to make friends, find allies at this moment, like, it's not worth even trying. Starfleet has been so compromised that what are they even doing here? This is a wasted effort. 
I liked Jordy kind of prevailing on Picard to get the drift that yeah. this is not time well spent anymore. And when Jordy tells Picard to get off his bridge <laughs> and that he almost killed them all by keeping that channel open. I mean, how many more times is this going to happen to Picard? Is everyone from the original crew going to do this to him? <laughs> Picard's in the ball kicking machine and everyone's got quarters. <laughs> Worf and Raffi are also like on assignment somewhere else, making me think that they do have the La Serena. Do you feel like they are in more or less danger by not being on Titan? Like we're, we understand that like the goal is to get Jack off of the ship if you're Vatic. Right. But given the current condition in Starfleet and in the Quadrant generally, I'm not sure if they're not in more danger not being together. The La Serena seems like a pretty dangerous place to be. It's a tiny little ship. Yeah. Is there somewhere remote enough that they could just hijack until the danger has passed? Yeah. I don't know. No mention of Riker is in any of the communications they've intercepted. And Jordy is also running out of places for the Titan to hide. Question I had at this point is if you've got a working cloaking device, aren't all the places, places to hide? Whatever happened with that? It seems like they're not so much trying to hide as trying to collect themselves. Right. And yeah. what they've collected is we're fucking alone. We've got a way stronger enemy than anyone anticipated. So let's like uh, let's go over our options. And uh, they have a little conversation in the ready room where Beverly admits to weighing the morality of genocide. I know we're desperate, but I am concerned about crossing the line. I mean, to me, self-defense genocide is pretty stepped-on genocide, you know? <laughs> it's genocide that's like 60-70% baby laxative, and that's just not going to cut it around here. I mean, in my household, the needlepoint over the hearth says, he who genocides first wins. What are you so worried about, Beverly? There's no law to fit the crime. Why wait? I'm sure that... Miriam political science classes have gone over this idea. The where the morality line is when genocide has been instigated at you. Right. Already. Like genocide is in progress right now. And Beverly's like, you know, we may have another possibility here. Like if the first version of the golds were able to be hurt or killed by a virus, maybe these could be subject to the same thing. If we're talking about the extermination of your own species and this being kind of self-defense, right? I don't want to be an asshole here, but like, <laughs> it's got to be on the table, right? It's worth bringing up. I think it's smart that they bring it up, and I think it's smart that they don't really know how to process it initially. And Picard is like, let's at least like keep our options open, W slash R slash D genocide. I mean, there is that, Isaac Asimov philosophy of like, if you are a alien species with the technological ability to build the Shrike, mm. you are also able to create biological warfare weapons. Therefore. <laughs> Therefore, why wouldn't the changelings use their own biological warfare weapons against feeble human beings Yeah, in their mind, you know? Is Vanek's plan just to like blow up all the ships? <laughs> Vatic says something later that that I think 
is a counterpoint to what I said, though, which is we're better than you. We're doing conventional warfare against you right. in the face of biological warfare, and it somehow gives her a moral high ground. Yeah. In the process of tabling the conversation about genocide, they switch to a different conversation about genetics, which is uh, they've got Picard's pre-Golem body, and they're trying to get Jack Crusher, which means they may be trying to make some sort of facsimile of Picard. Somebody that can pass as Picard both genetically and physically. And if you're someone who loves Star Trek, you just love this idea as a story, right? Mm -hmm. Hits every fucking time. <laughs> Anytime you have a chance to relate a modern story to a failed movie, you got to do it, right? You have, absolutely have to. But you look at that. So they're like, uh, maybe Datalore knows the answers to our questions or knows more about this than we do. Let's go down there and ask him. So Jordy and Ride LaForge are working on the data golem. <laughs> Did you say Ride LaForge? Yeah. Crash and ride. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Didn't we establish that in a previous episode? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm caught up now. Where are they on the ship? It's not engineering, which is where I would put a very dangerous, unpredictable android, personally. It's got beds or bed-like things, so I thought this was six bay, but I don't know. I don't know where we are here. Yeah, I think it's like science lab or engineering. Yeah. You know, workshop or something like that. So we learned that aromatic syndrome may not have been the right diagnosis for what is weird about Picard. Yeah. And whatever... It is weird about Picard could be helpful for the changeling's plan, but they're like kind of learning this in between it going between data and lore. Jordy's like, there's like a partition. So like one will take over and then the other will take over. It's not a mixture of both. And like dropping that partition, I'm just worried that it will go full evil. <laughs> you know, the songs are portrayed to be brilliant, brilliant, creators of the robots that they make. Yeah. But this Soong is a much better mechanic than a psychologist or a sociologist, right? <laughs> His optimism here that the right one will win is a pretty wild swing and a miss, I think. For someone who has experienced swings and misses when it comes to data and lore, right? Yeah. Why, why can't he let this go? <laughs> yeah, like... Uh... At least, like, if you want to put the lore in there to give a little bit of, like, extra humanity to the data, yeah, punch a couple of holes in the, in the floppy disk before you install that particular one so it's not all full power lore. Parents often will be like, I couldn't choose a favorite child, like, among my many children. Oh, I can choose. I think in this case, it's all right for Soong to choose a favorite yeah. here. <laughs> Data's better. <laughs> yeah. Better than before... It's better than lore. There is a visual language here that pervades the rest of the episode. Just a ton of sequences where glass is between the camera and the subject in the pan or the dolly. And there is a bunch of that this episode. Yeah, indeed. Kind of like a, a broken glass, broken mirror kind of visual. Hold like on. the end of uh, Enter the Dragon would have, you know? 
Sorry, Adam. I got really distracted because our buddy Daniel Baruela of the Maximum Fun Network just sent us a posting from Facebook. Uh-huh. That the guy that made the model for the original Nubbin Bug is selling the silicone master that they oh. molded it out of for oh. $800. And right now is a great time to talk about Max Fun Drive 2023. <laughs> we'll tell you why your support is so important. I mean, who needs this more than us? Yeah, if we have a good drive, I'll say right now, that thing is as good as ours. There is no fucking way <laughs> that Garrett Wong beats us to the punch on this. Yeah, it does look like the legs and arms are a uh, separate mold. So, Oh, God, the Silicone Master is uh, not visually pleasing. <laughs> no, it's, it's very fleshy in an uncomfortable way. I mean, what's cool about this is that uh, if you were making a pan of brownies making a pan of two brownies even, uh, you you could get one half and I could get the other, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think you could mold brownies in this? Is that a food-safe silicone mold? Why would Michael Moore sell this? <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you this much. Mm. We should obviously buy this. But what I'm going to do with my side is I'm going to put it in a brownie pan, and mm. that's how I will display it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me. We've got those uh, those ten forward pans that we got at the ten forward experience. I feel I feel like they would look good in that. Perfect. All right. So at the end of the scene, Data begs Picard for help. He can't live this way, and Picard uh, orders Jordy to turn him off. And Jordy is a guy who at one point was enthusiastic about the idea of a lore data before Android there. Like, this is a second chance to uh, have a relationship with someone that you thought was long dead. But the way he puts it to Picard, he's like, look, I'm used to working on OBD1 data, the one with the carburetors and stuff. <laughs> I cannot deal with this new data. I don't know what to do here. Like one pedal driving? I can't yeah. fucking wrap my mind around it. And if I even tried, I feel like I would kill him, and I just can't live with that myself. Yeah, and, and Picard is like, no, I've had to live through his death more times than I can count at this point. It, it kind of seems like an obsession with late period TNG <laughs> to a point where I am really not even sure how many times he's died, <laughs> numerically speaking. But this feels like a lot, a lot to ask of someone who has suffered a countless number of times. I mean, how many eulogies <laughs> will it take for me to finally go, enough? <laughs> I am not going to that funeral. <laughs> it reminds me of that episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> Albert Brooks wanted to see his own funeral. Is Data also a COVID hoarder? Shame on you, Albert Brooks! That's where my mind was going exactly. <laughs> yeah. We cut over to the Shrike, where Vatic is talking to the Hand again. And the Hand is a pretty tough boss. We must have the boy. For you and your kind will find your own existence meaningless. It's in this scene that it's established that Vatic and the Hand are of different species. Yeah, and she's talking about, like, I'm not going to have time to torture a betrayal out of Riker and Troy. Yeah, and the Hand is like, Do, do we get to see that this episode? Do we get to see any of Riker and Troy? 
And Vatic is like, no, sorry, too busy. And the hand responds by boiling her skin. Yeah. There's like an effect that happens mm-hmm. to, to Vatic that she's like loosening up. Yeah. Being vibrated by Ghostface Change Leader. Usually loosening up at the workplace, a uh, great way to do your best work. Right. Become more productive, but not in this scene. You don't want to see like your boss doing all the loosening up at the workplace, right? No. Yeah, that's a bad look. So Vanek is recommitted to getting Jack at all costs. And uh, we go back to the Titan. And How is Jack doing? We come back in media turbo lift. And I noticed in this scene, there are still lower decks on the Titan. Like they, Sure. A lot of them got sent over to that other ship, but not all of them. And I, I wonder no. if you're pissed. <laughs> you're still on the Titan and you're on lower decks. Like, everybody else is safe. Like... People with one pip are not being tortured in dungeons by by golds. You remember that moment where they had to decide whether or not to reveal that golds were on the ship and Riker was like, no, everyone's dead anyway. We might as well just keep people (laughs) docile and chill. Did they ever tell the crew that that's what was going on? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the ones who remained have got to be a lot happier than the ones that ended up transporting over to... uh, what was the ship that uh, Roe crashed herself into? The Intrepid. John Luke, we finished what I started. Right, yeah. If you were working in the uh, port nacelle on the Intrepid, you're like, yeah, yeah no, I kind of am down to just stay with the like one ship that's isolated and terrified, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Long day for the nacelle mechanic on the Intrepid. Yeah. Jack and, and Crash, you know hanging out it seems like he can maybe read her thoughts yeah it's either that or this is like an early seinfeld episode where you're hearing someone's inner monologue right and that's just for us the audience is he flirting those eyes this guy really smells doesn't anyone use deodorant in the city inspired by a just great mel gibson movie here right like reading her mind Mm -hmm. making yourself the perfect Romantic interest, (laughs) maybe getting yourself some teen wolf eyes in the process. Oh, baby. Here's what's so weird is like if Jack can either project or read what's going on in Crash LaForge's mind, why does he eat shit with the flirtation so bad? There's another aspect of the scene that read so weird is like Jack has a great point about like, this is a big empty ship. We should pick out great quarters for ourselves. You should see the one I've got. But like, Jack Crusher is established as a swashbuckling space medicine pirate in the first few episodes. Why is he such a fucking dope around a romantic interest in this scene? I mean, he's also like a 20-something who still lives with his mom. So he's not like... (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) He probably doesn't have that much time like alone. He's failed to launch, hasn't he? He's he's a little bit of a failure to launch. He's Teen Wolf, except he's failed to launch. <laughs> he doesn't have a Styles with him to kind of like coach him up. Hey, surf's up? Yeah, yeah, surf is <laughs> definitely up. He's a Teen Wolf that can't quite bring himself to surf on the roof of that van. I know. He is riding shotgun in the Teen Wolf van and unwilling to surf. And that's sad. Can I confess something to you, Adam? I think I know what you're going to say, and it's going to be a bonus episode. I have never seen Teen Wolf all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces like on, you know, syndicated rerun. It's like the Sunday afternoon movie or whatever. 
Ben, I quit podcasting about five seconds ago because <laughs> before you made your admission, I bet everything I've ever owned or will ever own on the fact that you've never seen Teen Wolf. So Yeah, no, I, I've, I've seen parts of it, but I haven't seen it all the way through. <laughs> Damn, dude. All right. Well, coming to the bonus feed. <laughs> A teen Wolf Sometime episode. soon. We're doing Teen Wolf. We wow. have to. Okay. Or maybe we do that uh, as part of a new show we're trying to hatch mm. up. Mm. That would be a fun bit of business, right? Curated as a little film festival. Yeah. You know. We need to score a lot of black fast. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. 
At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, This Old Enterprise, Logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyages we have begun. The greatest trek. Isn't it weird that Crash also experiences a unwelcome mental visitor mm. and leaves the turbo lift just kind of giving him side eye and that's it. Yeah, like what the fuck was that even? <laughs> this is a long running problem in Star Trek and just in television in general, right? The idea that a character experiences something unusual and does not report it, doesn't do anything with it, especially in this exact circumstance where you're on the Titan and people could be anyone yeah. or a gold. Yeah. And paranoia is at an all-time high. I just rode on the elevator with Jack Crusher and got a really fucking weird vibe from him. Is like That should be like a high-priority security situation, right? If you feel someone in your head, say someone's in your head. <laughs> if the vibe is off, you must... Get off. Get off. The turbo lift. The turbo <laughs> <laughs> That's a t-shirt, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they go up to the bridge. There's a message from Riker on the Shrike, and it's on this, like, carrier frequency that means that Riker is not doing well over there. The carrier frequency being 6969 is like chef's kiss yeah. for Riker, right? Yeah. They're like, it's only two six nines. That's... Yeah. Not enough six nines. No. <laughs> Jack gives Picard a zup and uh, calls him over into another room. He, he calls him Admiral. Like, can I get a word, Admiral? And, and Picard is like, I wish you would call me Admiral. <laughs> it's our father-son name. <laughs> but Jack is feeling very guilty about this whole situation. Like, everybody 
setting everything aside to protect him when he's like, you know, who the fuck am I? Well, like, why, like, why would you all be putting your lives on the line for an asswipe like me? Like, I haven't even surfed on the roof of a van. He stops so much shorter than coming clean with what's going on in his head. Like, he keeps bouncing between maybe doing that, but mostly feeling like he wants to give himself up to save the rest of the crew. Yeah. He said that to Beverly, but it doesn't seem like that went anywhere. Yeah. And Picard kind of, this is good like daddy Picard moment, I, I thought. It's not just like you shouldn't feel bad about people like going out of their way to protect you because it's the right thing to do. It's also, I'm fucking Captain Picard and let's start taking the fight to the bad guys. I wish so badly that there was a second level to Jack's reasoning for not being transparent about what's going on in his head. Like we recently watched an episode of Star Trek Voyager where Chakotay was going through a thing mentally that he felt like he had to fight because of a predisposition in his family that was scary to him medically. And there just seems like no good reason why Jack wouldn't be transparent about his deal, given the situation. And this is with three more episodes left of the season. George is getting irritated. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least have him hide it for some reason that we understand. Either that, like, he's not close enough with the card yet to do, or maybe he could only confide in Crash, or something. But anything. Yeah. Anything would be better than this. Yeah. Picard has an epiphany here based on whatever this conversation is. And in the next scene, we see this epiphany take place. There is no McLaughlin group, no nothing. They are springing the trap. And the trap is Vanek found out where they are and she is coming to this new part of space that doesn't seem like they're in the Chintaka system anymore. They're like, they're by a derelict Vulcan spacecraft and (laughs) radiation from that ship is, is like messing up scanners. So when they scan, it's like they're, there's life signs, but it's generalized over the entire ship. Yeah. Scattered like rats. And then when you look at the ship from the God shot, it looks like a crucifix. Wow. And they're not even sure if this place is a tomb or anything. Not without going over there. Yeah. Okay, we do it the hard way, deck by deck, room by room. And that's what Vatic orders her boarding party to do, shuttle style. Yeah. Red face guy, the, the sort of like... Number one to Vatic is like clicking and popping to suggest that this has all the hallmarks of a trap. And Vatic does not give any fucks that it's a trap. She wants to get over there, get Jack, give Ghostface Change Leader what he wants. The base in this show is off the fucking chains. Like, I, I watched this last night. Like, my wife was out having dinner with a friend, and I watched this, and it was like rattling the house. Yeah. In this scene, like my dog started barking. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. I like it. I like the sounds. They're good. I didn't know my TV could do that though. <laughs> good TV. It felt like I had like a 24-inch subwoofer on the back of my TV all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the back of Benny Blum's Volvo 240 in British Racing Green. 
in high school once again. Those JLs. Yeah. Blowing up. <laughs> I love the floodlights on the Shrike illuminating the ships across the way. I love that shit. Didn't that give Event Horizon? Absolutely. Yeah. Where's she been for the last seven years, Doctor? That's what we're here to find out. So spooky. Yeah. They beam over, they find a very empty, very dark starship, and then they find Jack. Jack walks out into the hallway. He's like, Yoo-hoo, looking for me? This is the plan that Picard came up with. Vatic and her henches see Jack at the end of a corridor, and Vatic in this scene seems to suggest that she has never seen him in person before. Hello. I thought you'd be taller. Yeah. Huh. She's got like a parasocial relationship with Jack Crusher. She's like, I'm used to hearing you at 1.5. You sound drunk. <laughs> Jack talks a little shit, and then he was running. <laughs> yeah. And he leads the henches into a fish and barrel situation where uh, Crash and Jack are the worst phaser shots ever. I thought one of them was going to get hit or killed in this scene. They yeah. are so bad. And these henches are enormous. How do you miss? It's a real stormtrooper on stormtrooper situation. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's missing everyone. And uh, they're dropping a lot of force fields and like trapping them. They're, they're kind of kettling different groups of henchmen in different places. Mm -hmm. And then they get Fanic in her own little like tubular force field. I sort of thought that it sounded like she wanted to take Jack to the Great Link based on some of the dialogue in this scene. I felt that way too. The musical score here kind of felt like that moment before Riker says fire at the end of Best of Both Worlds. Oh, wow. It's kind of like that, that building back and forth strings motif. Yeah. Fire. Yeah. But like the, the push in on Vatic's face is not an expression of great stress or or whatever vatic doesn't have the expression of a defeated enemy either she's chill as hell yeah she's um like the bank robber that this is all going perfectly according to plan in a bank heist movie yeah is kind of her energy and yeah the excitement is not over like the the red face guy is still chasing crash that's still a thing honestly ben it was too dark for me to tell the difference between the eyes wide shut aliens <laughs> i'm really glad that you clocked the red faced guy yeah i think the rest of them have kind of like grayish white faces and and this uh -huh. one has a, a red face so yeah it seems maybe a little bigger i don't know hmm. but yeah they're all so big yeah I also was wondering if we were going to see another Jason Bourne moment from Jack, and we don't really. Like, we see other skills from him later in the episode, but it doesn't seem like the execute every motherfucking last one of them sure. without even knowing what he's doing thing yeah. is really online in this episode. Yeah. I mean, things for just the briefest of moments seem to be working. Like all these security walls have dropped in a way that's effective and according to plan. But elsewhere, Jordy is having a hard time kind of holding things together. The computer seems to be fighting him. And that's because Lore has been permitted for some reason to walk around freely 
instead of being bolted to a slab like Frankenstein's monster, like he should be. Yeah. On Daystrom, they kept him on that slab. (laughs) (laughs) There's like a fiber optic connection coming out the back of his nubbin area. Yeah. And I sort of wondered if like, if disconnecting from that would like cut the power or something. But yeah, Laura's fucking things up because Laura is a messy bitch that loves chaos. And (laughs) (laughs) I would really like to have Laura's own intro as a housewife for the show. If there's time to do that, that would be amazing. Little bend, a little arch, a little antagonizing flair is required. There's kind of a scene between Beverly and Vatic that we get the like the rest of the stanza of the hot cross buns, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of recalling that opening shot and recalling a motif that they've used throughout Star Trek Picard and a lot this season, like the uh, little like whistled note sequence mm-hmm. being a bit of a theme this season. Beverly is sort of trying to play bad cop here which Vatic calls out immediately. Aren't you adorable? Because Beverly's talking all this, like, I'm thinking about, like, going anti-Hippocratic oath on you, basically. I really, really like this scene for Gates. Yeah. Like, seeing this gear in her as an actor is super fun. Gates McFadden has not had a ton to do this season, but every big scene that she's had, she has really fucking delivered. I agree. They didn't give her a ton of runway here either before Vatic kicks her in the lady nuts almost immediately. I'm bored already. Whatever their plan was is a failure really fast, but like the way that that's demonstrated with the POV shots, you know, as Beverly looking at Amanda Plummer, like in the eyes, yeah, it's really upsetting. There is a lot of talk about Jack's unique physiology which seems to be like if it's not aromatic syndrome and jack didn't inherit aromatic syndrome then whatever is weird about picard and jack must be the same thing but yeah she's saying like he isn't for you which uh only thing i could think of was like well then it's like okay if they fuck or like (laughs) (laughs) like what is that is he not really her son So if you wanted to go make some of the most popular adult entertainment of the day, like, I guess, I guess you could go do that. Yeah. (laughs) For some reason, it's very popular. I don't quite understand it. I mean, we're all saying we don't understand it, but we understand it, right? (laughs) This doesn't go the way Picard and Beverly predict it's going to go because Picard rolls up and he's like, we know all of your plans. With Frontier Day and your weird physiology. And Vatic's like, who gives a shit? Yeah. This is about Jack, remember? And I know all about Jack and you know next to nothing about him. And she's also making some very decent points about the changeling virus that the Federation inflicted on her people in the Dominion War. It's one of those things where it's like, you know what? The Dominion War was a war of adventure for the Dominion, but... From her perspective, like drawing first blood wasn't what mattered about the Dominion War. What mattered about the Dominion War was the way the Federation responded to it. And you see this throughout history, like the countries that win wars tell their war story in a flattering way. 
And the moment where Vatic was like, you know, you say you gave us the cure to the virus you introduced, but you didn't even want to do that. Yeah. That was a rogue changeling that did it. So don't like claim that as your plan the whole time because it wasn't. Doesn't seem like it was. And she also goes into a little bit of her own backstory. Turns out mm -hmm. Starfleet made her the woman she is today. It's a story that feels a lot like Odo's origin story, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. With like a dusting of Manchurian candidate. Like, right. They were trying to take a changeling and make it a sleeper agent that could go in and do hits undetected. Yeah. We see some flashbacks of this. She was like a prisoner of war at Daystrom Station, and there was this like Starfleet Mengele doctor working on her and a bunch of other changelings and injecting shit and like using a culinary torch on the Petri dish and doing all this stuff. Doesn't sound fun. Doesn't sound like more fun than what Tuvok is presumably going through. The mindless whistling of a person just doing their job nearby. A form of torture. Mm. I think you and I can agree on that. Yeah, especially somebody that's doing their job in the sense of like, I was just following orders. <laughs> a person just doing their job and whistling. Yeah. <laughs> Evil incarnate. <laughs> it's really, it's like really remarkable how banal it is at the end of the day. You were talking about how few opportunities Gates McFadden has had to like kind of claim a scene. Amanda Plummer claims this scene in what I really think is a centerpiece moment for her in telling her character's story. I really like this moment for her a lot. Yeah. She's great at this. And when Vatic, you know, like the story comes to a, a crescendo with like Vatic taking the form of her tormentor and saying that, you know, part of her great ability right now is that she can pass on this ability to, you know, stay a solid shape for a long time and to, you know, have your guts read as whatever alien you want to be this is something that she can give to people who find common cause with hers and the price is kind of like opposite vampire style you get a shorter life and more suffering but you get that sweet sweet revenge yeah and for a lot of people that's a, an even trade it's like if you come for the omerta you stay for the revenge what does it mean it means omerta it means Ray Wenge. Vatic turns into Jack here to twist the knife when she says, are you prepared to lose another son? And I really wonder if they considered if she had turned into Will Wheaton instead of Jack. Because seeing Dark Wheaton in this scene as Wesley, I think would have been horrifying, mostly because I can't imagine it. Hey, nerds, are you ready to lose another son? Let's get into it. Hey, mom, stay tuned <laughs> for a preview. Let's set phasers to fun and see how the rest of this season unfolds. When they brought his character back last season, it was like hitting 40 keys on a piano all at once. <laughs> like, it was tonally so crazy in that moment. Like, this felt to me like a chance to correct that. Yeah. Like we make a lot of fun of how weird that moment was in season two, but I think you could bring him back here and be like, no, 
in a season that seems all about course correcting for the past two seasons. Like, yeah. why not be direct? Right. That would have been interesting. I like that punch up, Adam. I wonder yeah. if we'll see him in this season. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one one too many deus ex machinas. Like, this is a season <laughs> full of them, and then to bring him back, I, I just don't even know. There is a downside to Vatic's ability. She describes it as signing up for eternal pain and a shorter life which sounds mutually exclusive. Like, it can't be eternal and short, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) logically, that doesn't quite work. (laughs) Lawyer Picard comes out. (laughs) She's like, you caught me there. (laughs) I just got excited being the bad guy. Meanwhile, like, Lore is disengaging force fields and Jordy is, like, in that, engineering area like watching desperately as the red face changeling beats the shit out of his daughter yeah like suddenly like vanek is free and beverly has basically convinced herself that there's no upside to letting vanek live at this point and when picard pulls his own phaser and like charges it up you think they're gonna execute her you do And then she turns into goo and they shoot like 38 shots at her and miss every single one. Yeah. (laughs) It sort of seems like she and Lore pre-planned this. I mean, I want to know so much more about what Lore's endgame might be here. Because if they're not working together, I thought Lore was smarter than this. Like, Lore says later that his whole goal is survival. Like, the right to live is what... Laura is playing for what chance does he have not aligned with Starfleet or or the Starfleets that are on the Titan because the changelings aren't going to give a shit about him he's as solid as Starfleet he's even more solid than a human being you could argue you could argue he's as solid as Sears Adam he is rock hard (laughs) compared to any human on that ship (laughs) And programmed in multiple techniques, right? All of the men are over 40 or 50, (laughs) except for Jack Crusher. (laughs) Speaking of the sexual promise that is Jack Crusher, (laughs) when the force fields drop, it's all but one. And it's the one that's separating him from Crash LaForge, who needs to suddenly become a stupendous badass to beat red face changeling in a close quarters combat situation and jack crusher sort of starts puppeteering her body like he's doing the same thing she's doing and they're doing like flips and shooting this guy i'm just saying that like when they finally do hook up it's gonna be some fucking wild shit (laughs) i think this is a really hard scene to do without making it cheesy and i think the way that this cut together gave it the best chance of looking good. It really looked great. Somehow Data has won the partition battle that Jordy helped him win. Like I kept wondering about this. Like when I rewatched, I was really like carefully listening for because they they set this thing up of like there's a partition between them mm-hmm. and I don't want to drop it because I'm worried one will win. Does it still exist in your mind? I, or is this still an in process fight? I couldn't figure it out. I I couldn't follow that. I think to not know that does LeVar Burton's performance here a disservice because he's another actor that gets a great moment of great emotion here. 
to try to make his case. And fucking brings the heat. Like, yeah, I think LeVar Burton and Gates McFadden have been like the breakout stars of Picard season three. Like the ones yeah. that I want them to spin series off of more than anything, because they're so fucking compelling to watch this season. They're doing yeah. such fucking great acting. Like, I feel like they are doing the acting of their careers. It made me like lament that LeVar Burton and Gates McFadden didn't go on to be like huge movie stars and do yeah. dozens of roles after TNG because I really feel like they have the fucking goods. And that's what makes the conclusion of this scene feel a little bit empty because for Data to have emerged here without knowing how exactly that happened, I want to put that in the win column for Jordy, but I don't know that we can. Was it the appeal to like the emotional connection they have as friends that made Data stronger? Or was it just conveniently in the script, we need it to be Data again and no longer lore? I don't know. I don't know. Shit has gone totally ham at the end of this episode, though. Like between the bridge being taken yeah. and... Picard and Beverly being in a different part of the ship completely, doing their search for Project Proteus and learning that there may be a way to track these new changelings based on the intel that they've gotten from Daystrom about the project. Yeah. Liam Shaw gets chucked into the turbo lift up to the bridge with Vatic, and when she's like taking over the ship, he's all like bloodied up and fucked up in there, and she takes command. She goes on the one MC... <laughs> I love the uh, question mark at the end of every word. Attention. Crew. Yeah. Of the Titan. I do like that. Boy, if she was a podcaster, she would get terrible <laughs> reviews <laughs> about ending her statements like that. But she's like, as promised, pecked you to death, didn't I? Like, this is exactly what I said I would do. I like that she also makes the case for her own benevolence. Like, you know, I'm not so bad. I'll be a great captain. And already, by communicating this much and this way with her crew, she might be a more beloved captain than Shaw. <laughs> like, we go around the Titan, everyone's, like, looking up at the speakers, like, huh, new captain, huh? All right. She seems, I mean, let's give her a chance, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I'll see her out. <laughs> and poor Shaw, just getting the shit kicked out of him again. Yeah, like more episodes than not that he's been hobbling around. <laughs> Maybe he should walk around with a couple of six bay lights to wave over himself, just <laughs> so that they're close by. Yeah, just keep them in a pocket or something. The outshot of the episode is Vatic threatening to tell Jack who he really is on the 1MC. And you got to believe if you're a crash out there near Jack, you're wondering who that might be that's been inside your mind and puppet mastering you into beating an Eyes White Shut character to death. Yeah. If I'm Crash LaForge right now, like the two things I'm really wondering about are that and like, if I married him and I took his last name, I would be Crash Crusher. Do I really want that to be? Yeah. I, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. It wouldn't work. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Adam? Oh, there are some moments that I like, but this feels like a late season new Star Trek sloppy mess. And I say that kind of with love because 
There are so many good performances squirreled away in this episode, but it's an episode that leaves me with more questions than answers. Yeah. And dude, episode seven just finished. We should be starting to get the answers to these questions by now. And I'm going to be pretty irritated if we have to wait until episode 10 to tie everything up as fast as possible at the speed of new Star Trek, as it seems to be. Yeah. And I think I'm just frustrated right now at this moment in the season, a season that that started with a ton of goodwill and a ton of great moments for a lot of characters we care a lot about. Like, who is growing right now as a character? It feels like everyone has been sort of stopped in order to solve this mystery or defeat an enemy. And like for all of the talk about, you know, a Shaw 7 Star Trek series coming after this, you know, that would be great because they've gotten no character development (laughs) since episode two. Like Seven has a great scene in the cold open this episode, yeah, but she has gotten nothing to do this season since the first couple of episodes. And ignoring Riker's side of being captured, I think is, you better be sure that you can evoke the kind of feeling for a fallen character without showing that side. And I don't want to forget about him. It kind of seems like we're glossing over the Tuvok Riker capture in a way. Yeah. I really needed a minute with one or both of them because as much action takes place here and as dark as we get this episode, like go darker, torture Riker, torture Tuvok. Right. Like we saw an eyeball being ripped out of a person in the last season. Like, Show him a number of lights and then tell him it's a different number of lights. Yeah. And it's doing all that at the same time. It's also defanging Vatic even more and making her hand the bad guy. Like, you have enough time in three episodes to (laughs) tell us all we need to know about the hand, for example? I I don't know. Like, at this point, I'm wondering if the finale is going to be a double just because, like, it's hard for me to imagine having enough time to unpack enough in the three episodes we have left. Right. I I don't know why they keep doing this thing where they like end on a cliffhanger and then don't address the cliffhanger in the next episode. Yeah, that is definitely a thing. And it's frustrating. It's like, don't tell me that the most interesting thing is this and then ignore this. Like that just makes me annoyed at you, show. The show seems so focused on creating the tension between Vatic and Picard slash Jack. Like, why would you possibly avoid the conflict between Shaw that still exists? Shaw's unmotivated behavior change in allowing Picard to basically run his ship again doesn't seem like it's been earned with any scene that we've been a part of, right? Yeah. I would really like this to be Shaw's ship or to feel that way still. And he's like a lackey in this episode. Like he's like run around with a gun. He's like doing the fucking audio analysis at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, if we want a Shaw series, which I would be really excited about, make him a real character instead of whatever this is. But I mean, three more episodes left. I think there's time to course correct again. But I'm in the dark place again after the episode with the failed Crimson Tide conflict on the bridge. Like, A little too much goes unearned here, and it's time to start investing 
in some characters and their reasons again. All that said, I thought this episode was very fun to watch. It was entertaining. Agree. At the very yes. least. I 100% agree with that. It's it's why it drives me crazy. Yeah. I wish it was entertaining in service of something bigger, and it feels entertaining in a way that sort of detracts from everything else they've done so far this season. I'm ready to eat my words at the end of the season, but like for all of the celebration about this season and how great it is, you've got to remember that it doesn't make you a genius to do the obvious thing. Right. Like part of the frustration of this season is that I wish this happened two seasons ago. Right. Yeah. It feels like this is maybe where we should have started the three seasons of Star Trek Picard. You're so right about the entertainment value of this though. Like I'm I'm going to watch this season and I'm going to watch this episode over and over again. It is hella fun. Yeah. It in some ways like harkens back to an older kind of TV where entertainment was more important than like prestige, you know? Is that part of our conflict, like the inner conflict within us yeah. as people who love Star Trek and love talking about it is like, we have both grown up with old Star Trek and the values of it and the way it was made and also matured through prestige television. Right. And now there's like, there's this tension in how we watch it where it's difficult to process it. It's difficult to like capture what is magical about TNG while also trying to compete with like The Last of Us. Absolutely. For like a tone, you know? Yeah. Couldn't put it any better than that. And I think that that's what's so special about Strange New Worlds is that they are like getting closer on that show than any of the other things that they've tried. Right. Yeah. Three eps left. What is going to happen from here? I'll tell you one thing that's going to happen. We get our same director in the next episode, and I oh. don't know if we get the same writer, but... I thought that this episode was well-directed, so... Yeah, I thought the same, and a visual signature that felt different yeah. than the episodes that have come before. Well, Adam, let's uh, go ahead to the P1 inbox for that segment. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Oh, Ben, there's no priority one messages. Here, this is the second week of the Max Fun Drive, the very last day of it. Oh, I feel like an idiot. Well, if you're listening to this, then the Max Fun Drive has, has come and gone, but it's always a good time to support good things that you enjoy listening to. Isn't that right? Such as Greatest Trek. Yeah. Maximumfun.org slash join is where you do that. Thanks for your support. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I think I want to give it to Shaw for being the lackey this episode. Like, he seems like the lowest status character in this episode that isn't just one of the kind of anonymous bridge crew members. Good restraint by this season to not cut around the rest of the bridge crew and like doing Shaw react <laughs> at how far he's fallen. You know, like if this was a captain you used to fear as being an asshole and you're seeing him in the ball kicking machine with this type of regularity <laughs> like Doe would be looking at each other can you believe it five times an episode yeah <laughs> are you seeing this shit are you seeing this Shaw 
I don't think Shaw could be captain of the Titan after this season, <laughs> after what everyone has seen. Yeah, put him on a different ship. He turns over a new leaf. They put him in command of the hood. Yeah. <laughs> ben, my Edward Larkin's going to be Jack Crusher for a line of dialogue that flies by so quickly that you might miss it. Mm. He talks about in his one-on-one with Picard about, you know, look, I'm Jack Crusher. I love a good fight when it's fair or I'm the one that's cheating. (laughs) And that bit of what a good fight is, according to Jack Crusher, I just fucking love. Like when I'm the one that's cheating. Yeah. Whoever wrote that line of dialogue, I I really dug it. A plus. That was a fun part to me. Yeah, I agreed. Well, Ben, at the end of every episode, we've got to either warn Mm. a potential viewer against listening to our show or welcome them into our bosom. Mm -hmm. The segment's called Warning Bois, and uh, these are messages written by friends of DeSoto that could go either way. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. They're all over the internet, Adam. They're on social media. People are reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Where is today's warning bois coming from? Well, I am going to highlight a friend of DeSoto that we've had for many years, Philippe Sobriero. Oh! Who's made fun images for us, who has been a great friend of DeSoto in these Twitter streets over the years. Yeah, there's many of his artworks in the pod shop at this very moment. He's a great follow. His Twitter handle is at the real Sobriero, and he sent completely unsolicited a screen grab of one of the panels in the credit sequence of Star Trek Picard season three, uh, when the message flashes myriad codec, he has changed it to Miriam codec authorization, <laughs> thus making it canonically greatest Trek and delighting you and me. Yeah. I laughed out loud when I saw that on Twitter this morning. Really good stuff. So great. He's super talented and uh, we're lucky to have worked with him as often as we have over the years. Indeed. Well, Adam, that is the end of today's episode. We're going to throw it to our producer, Wendy Pretty, to take us home. Yeah. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We'll be back next Friday with a review of Season 3, Episode 8 of Star Trek Picard. We also want to thank Adam Ragusia for creating the original music for Greatest Trek. You can find his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusia. Nick Dittmore created the show art, and Bill Tilly manages the at Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. Make sure you're following those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.